attempt at interviewing someone with a really heavy story, we'll finish the interview and my producers will be like, what are you doing to take care of yourself after that? <laughs> All right, welcome back. Today's guest is really a corporate storyteller who turned into a self-discovery guru. And we're gonna go super deep into her story today. She's a writer, a podcaster of her own, and an entrepreneur multiple times i just heard so excited to hear that story so just get ready get ready for an honest vulnerable authentic conversation as we welcome nicole christie and her journey has really been through health crisis entrepreneurship and really survival after narcissistic abuse which i'm sure is just a roller coaster of inspiration for us to just see her journey progress so Let's just dive right in. I just can't wait to learn more about you and just hear how you've just pushed through and just built this life that is so beautiful. So welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Jamie. I'm honored. All right. So, yeah, I mean, you have quite the story. <laughs> I would love if you could. I, I think we should definitely go there. But before we do, could you share a bit more about what you've created now? I want to I want to kind of start there and sure. then we can kind of look back in time of how we got here. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. I love this approach. Um so I currently um am on my second journey of entrepreneurship. So I have a storytelling studio called Tula Productions and I work with uh mostly Fortune 100 corporations and also notable individuals to tell their story as I say on the mic, the stage, the screen or the page. So whether that's developing a podcast, it's um, putting together a keynote speech, it's a written sort of thought leadership piece, um, or, uh, you know, maybe like a video or a television appearance. I help people tell their personal story or tell the brand's story or a little bit of both. Um, so that's that's one part of my, my uh, sort of day-to-day. -day. And then the other is um, just a year ago, I actually launched my own podcast. Um, I have a history at Microsoft. I hosted a podcast for Microsoft called Managers One-on-One -on -One and really fell in love with the medium of podcasting. Most of my career has been as a writer, so this was a fresh way to tell stories. And I launched my podcast called Here For Me a year ago, which is about the power of choosing yourself and how the best self-care comes from the inside. So it's self-awareness, self-respect, self-compassion, self-integrity, and I really learned about that the hard way through three years of sort of nonstop one after the other um, traumatic experiences that happened in my life that really taught me how to choose myself and show up for myself. So we tell uh, the, those stories on here for me. I tell my own story and then also have other people on who have been through life altering experiences that taught them that same lesson. Wow. Wow. I love what it is that you do. It's Thank you. Powerful. Thank you. And I have to, I have to bring this up because I'm like, what was the first business? <laughs> <laughs> this was the second one. What was this the was the second one? one. This is the sophomore effort. So the first one um, was 2005 to 2017. So my uh, career, my history is in corporate communications, employee communications, exec communications, PR, branding, all of that. And uh, I went out in 2005 on my own to start my own communications firm. So sort of similar, but with less of a focus on storytelling and more like straight up communications for companies. 
companies um, and very much focused on the Fortune 100 um, and very, very, very corporate. I think uh, the piece of it that I bring to my business now is more human storytelling and bringing either the emotional side of a product or an organization or a notable person or an executive's personal story to life uh, in, in different multimedia channels. But yeah, the first one, 12 years of running my own comms firm, <laughs> which was an amazing journey and I loved it. Wow. Wow. That's so neat. It's neat. I, I was almost expecting it to be a story of it was out of alignment with you or it just didn't like you built something maybe that you didn't love, but it actually doesn't sound like it was that at all. It almost sounds like just a beautiful, natural progression into this. So yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, I, it's funny. Like I have, um, I had a, a few different career, uh, moves in my career for different roles, but the biggest chunk of my career was at Microsoft and I had two lifetimes there. So 2000 to 2004. And then I went through some big life changes then. And one was going to New York city where I'd always wanted to go. And I got a job at a big consulting firm, which was a great firm and really lovely team. But it would, that was the role that was way out of alignment. And I knew that on day two. And I had known since wow. I set foot in corporate America, 10 years prior to that, I knew that I wanted to work for myself and I knew it'd be something with writing, but it took 10 years to figure out exactly how that would come together. And the consulting firm was really the last piece of that. So my first chapter at Microsoft that started 23 years ago taught me how to do the work, taught me how to do communications, storytelling in a different way than I do now. And then going and working in the communications practice of it's a, one of the big global firms in New York, um, that really taught me to price and scope the work. And I knew I was in the wrong environment, the wrong culture. It was just way too corporate for me. Um, but it took me 10 months. Uh, again, I was going through some personal stuff then too, uh, to really get the courage and go, you know what, I'm going to go out on my own and do this. And then I started the communications firm um, and basically took everything I'd done at Microsoft and at the consulting firm and started doing it for my own clients. So yeah, it was, it was amazing. I mean, you know, and the, the, what happened with after 12 years of that was I was like, okay, I've been doing this for 12 years. I feel like I'm kind of burning out. I didn't really know why I was like, Hmm, you know, do I not like the work anymore? Do I not like being self-employed anymore? And it was a little bit of both. And one of my clients I continued to work for, as I do now, Microsoft continues to be one of my clients. So I was working with Microsoft in 2017 and I went in for a meeting and I hadn't set foot on campus in six years. And in that time, uh, Steve Ballmer had left Microsoft and Satya Nadella had come in as CEO and was really transforming the culture of the company. And I hadn't seen that firsthand because it had been a while since I'd done a project. And I was working with one of my old colleagues from that first lifetime. And I went in and met with him and I was like, is it just me or is this culture change palpable? I feel it being on campus. And he was like, Nicole, it's so different. Like it's, it's so incredible what Satya has been doing and how the culture is transforming. And I went to my car and texted my then husband and said, I want my old job back, but up leveled at three times the pay. And I'd been gone for 12 wow. years. So, and, uh, and I just felt like I wanted to go back there. I wanted to learn a different angle of communications. I wanted to do some storytelling in a different way. I was like, I need to just give entrepreneurship a rest. The hustle and bustle of that is just, I need a break from it. Um, but I knew I was going back to Microsoft. I went back from 2017 to 2021 before starting my current venture. But I knew I was going back to learn something new. And Microsoft is very much about growth mindset, stretch, fail, learn. And I thought that's almost like what I need right now. So going back, it put me in the position to do what I'm doing now. I had the opportunity to 
produce and host a podcast for them, um, which came out of a talk show series that I just randomly ended, ended up hosting um, through my colleague who was producing it was like, does anybody want to host this? And really found a new passion and a new love for conversations on the air, on camera, um, and just kind of doing storytelling in a very different way than I'd done in traditional corp comms. So it set me up to do this. And then I would say about 2020, 2021, one of the, around that time, around the pandemic time, I was like, feeling like it's time to take this out on my own again, but I'm not ready. And that was two years ago. I actually said, okay, I'm ready to go. And within a week, I had my first two clients from Microsoft, people that I worked with that were like, okay, so when you start your business, because I took a few months off to enjoy the holidays and whatever, um, can we be, can we be your first clients? And um yeah, so I call Microsoft my MBA program because it always sets me up to be an entrepreneur. That's amazing. I love that story. It's like it's like, it's like a beautiful part of your story, which mm-hmm. I want to talk more about that. Like, what has inspired you to start ultimately sharing your own story? Like, like when was that moment in time? Because all of this was happening. You were working and you were building these businesses. But what was like... I have a story to share. I want mm-hmm. to share my story. When did you have that moment? That's a great question. Um, I've been a writer since I was seven. So when I started oh. writing, I wrote my first short story, I wrote chapter books in elementary school that my teachers oh, would oh, read. So I always knew from a very young age I wanted to be a writer, but I didn't know, am I going to be a journalist or a screenwriter or an author? Am I going to be a novelist? I didn't know. But the medium that has always spoken to me and that I've published the most pieces is personal essay. So I've always sort of told my own story and I have an improv background and a comedy writing background. So there's always a lot of humor in my essays, but that was sort of just something I was doing, you know, on the side that was fun. And and I hoped to build maybe more of that into my career, but didn't really know how to do it. Um, It wasn't until I went through, you know, these major crises that I can go into um, that I realized I had something that could be of service to people. And I've said pretty much my whole life as a writer, I've wanted nothing more than for my words to make people feel things, whether that's angry, thoughtful, you know, sad, poignant, whatever it is, laughing. I just wanted to evoke emotion through the things that I wrote. And it wasn't until I went through my own journey of the last now four years that I was like, oh, actually, it's not about feeling, it's about healing. And so the words that I write the things that I say on my podcast, the stories that I tell are really to facilitate healing in other people. There's certainly laughter and all of that with some of that too. Um, But yeah, I would say when you're talking about the kind of the current storytelling that I'm doing, it started in 2019. I had an autoimmune reaction to a very simple virus, which you have, how many children do you have? Do you just, you have your son? One. One Yeah. Yeah. So you probably know about hand, foot and mouth disease. (laughs) Uh Yeah. So I got that in 2019, a week before uh, my husband and I moved to San Diego. We'd been long distance for seven and a half years from Montreal to Seattle, which is like 2,200 (laughs) miles apart. Um, And we were finally coming together to live for the first time under the same roof in the same city. So that was going on. I was working at Microsoft. It was a super stressful time. A lot of things launching. And I was also on a memoir writing program, finishing my manuscript and about to do my graduation reading in Seattle. And I got hand, foot and mouth disease. And then they think that just all the stress I was under, my immune system attacked itself and turned into a secondary condition called erythema multiform, which I'd never heard of. But it looks like you have target 
lesions all over your body. And I had them in my mouth. So I couldn't eat. It was so painful. I couldn't even drink water. Everything burned my mouth that I put in it. I lost eight pounds in a week. I was turned away from the ER twice. They kept saying, you have hand, foot and mouth disease. It's self-limiting. Be gone in a week. But it just kept getting worse and worse. And then it started to eat through the connective tissue. And I couldn't use my hands and I couldn't walk. Felt like I was walking on shards of glass. And uh, finally, the third time to the ER, my dad actually came up. Uh, This was when I was living in Seattle. My parents live in Oregon. My dad came up and was like, something different needs to happen with this kid. And um, they put, yeah, they hospitalized me. And I was like, I have to move to San Diego in eight days. So how long am I going to be here? Like, I, I need to pack stuff. And they were like, oh, probably just a night or two. We need to get you on hydration, nutrients. We need to, uh, you know, administer the meds you need to be on through an IV, steroids, painkillers, antivirals, you know, everything, because I couldn't take anything by mouth. Um, And I ended up being there for a week and was released the day before I had to move. So my parents and my husband are getting me ready to move. And then what ended up happening as what happens with hand, foot and mouth disease is I lost multiple layers of skin and because this was so deep I was basically peeling skin off my hands like gloves it was coming out in giant sheets and my feet same thing like no show socks just peeling skin off all 10 of my toenails while I was in the hospital turned black and over the course of a couple months all popped off so I had no toenails took two years for them to come back they're back normally now but it took two years to do that Um, and I was not able to move with my husband they were like you're filled with open sores Um, and you are going to go to your parents' house to be rehabilitated. You cannot travel until these have all scabbed over because you'll get a staph infection and die. So, um, yeah, I went to their house once I was discharged from the hospital, and they decided to tell me when I was being discharged, oh, P.S., there was a 15% chance you were going to die from this because you were going septic. Um, But, we, you know, we've reversed all of that. But, yeah, my husband at the time was like, what are you talking about? Uh, So, yeah, rehabilitated from that, moved to San Diego two weeks after he did. Um, and it took nine months to really heal, like for me to look normally, for me to be able to walk normally. Um, and then in March of 2020, we all know what happened in March of 2020, the lockdown happens in California mid-March. About a week or two later, I, my eye is watering profusely. I'm thinking, what is going on? I must have allergies or something. It's spring in San Diego where I live. And I went in the mirror and I found a um, lesion on the inside of my lower eyelid, like a skin tag. And I thought, what in the world is this? But nobody could see me during COVID until July. So it took a very long time for me to get in and they removed it. It was growing rapidly. So finally, I was like, someone needs to look at this is really weird. Um, I'd just been to the eye doctor two months prior also. So that's how fast it had popped up. And uh, they removed this, sent it off to pathology. And they told me, oh, there's like a 20% chance that it's cancer. It's a 5% chance it's, you know, this particular kind of cancer. And that's exactly what it was. Um, so that, that kicked off a 15-month cycle of dealing with ocular cancer. And I'm living in San Diego. There are 300 ocular oncologists in the world and none in San Diego. So I find a center of excellence at USC Roski in L.A., and we're going every month up to L.A. I had three surgeries over the course of September 2020 to April 2021. So we're going to L.A. for that. Every month we're going up for immunotherapy treatments, which I call chemo light, right into my eye. I was thankful I didn't have to have an infusion because obviously that comes with its own set of side effects. But right into my eye, four or five hour appointments of MRIs and scans and pictures and being poked and all of this. So we get to the end of this journey in February 2021 and something had popped up in the last 
month, like between the January and February monthly appointments. And they're like, we're 70% sure it's scar tissue, but we need to biopsy. So we need to go in and do the surgery again, scoop it out, send it off. And if it is back, it's super aggressive. We have to operate within seven to 10 days to save your eye and potentially your life. Because what they worry about with ocular cancer, even though it was like on my eyelid, it's the lining of the eye. It's like the, it's your conjunctiva. If you get pink eye conjunctivitis, right? It's the, it's the outside of your eyeball and the inside of your eyelid is the conjunctiva. So it's technically like a skin cancer, but because of the mucous membrane and the way that it's composed, they worry it's going to go to the back of the eye, to the brain and into your head and neck lymph nodes. So I'm getting CAT scans and MRIs part of my life now. Um, at this point, it's been a couple years, knock on wood. It seems like we're all clear, but um, yeah. So they're like, we have to, go in and take this out. And they did that and then um, said, yeah, it's back. So now you get to go have the radical surgery we've been trying to avoid where they took half of my eyelid. So it, it literally, the cancer was, they were able to map it, right? And then they do something called Mohs surgery where they take as much as they can see on the MRI, send it off and they come, the pathology comes back right away while I'm still under general anesthesia. Nope, you didn't get it all. You got to go back in. They take more until there are clean margins. So they had to go back in only once, thankfully. But what they also knew from the MRI from my very first appointment is that not only was it that lesion and the half of my lower eyelid, it was down the side of my nose and my tear duct. So interestingly, you know, I'd gotten cancer in the part of the body that, you know, we really express our emotions through. So I had to have that radical surgery. I have a picture of it on my website on NicoleChristie.com. If anyone likes gory photos on my podcast page with the uh, episode two of season one has some photos and it's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty gory and disgusting, but, um, yeah, so they rebuilt my, cut all the cancer out. I had, I have a tear duct, a uh, new tear duct and I had a stent in there for about six months just to make sure that everything was flowing properly and completely rebuilt my eye. So the, one of the best oculoplastic surgeons in the world, thankfully is here at UCSD in San Diego and quite literally saved my life. So that happened. <laughs> and that was, you were asking about um, how I got to sort of where I am right now. We were talking to you before we got on. Um, that made me realize I've been through these two major things. It's a huge wake up call. What am I not seeing clearly? We're literally like seeing clearly. The first thing was really like realizing the skin is the ultimate boundary. Your nails are your body's ultimate boundary. It's the first line of defense. Where am I not setting boundaries? I had some healer friends that helped me kind of dive into the metaphysical of that. So I was like, oh, I'm I have very poor boundaries with people. I don't take great care of myself emotionally, physically I do, but emotionally or mentally don't set boundaries and really make sure my needs are met. And then this made me realize, mm, where am I not seeing clearly? And some cultures believe the left eye is in particular the window to the soul, which is where my cancer was. So I'd been doing a lot of reading about the metaphorical and metaphysical meaning of the left eye. And I was like, I think my window's murky. So I started looking at my life and I realized it is time to leave Microsoft, um, not for any bad reasons. It's just time to choose yourself and go out and do storytelling the way that you know you're born to do it, telling your own story in a variety of ways. So I do, you know, keynote speaking and my podcast and writing, and then also telling the stories of other people who have been through life altering things that helped them to realize, hey, I wasn't showing up for myself. And then what also became apparent to me that escalated during the pandemic and during my cancer um, that had always been there for 10 years of being with my now ex-husband um, is that, it, you know, I was actually in an abusive, emotionally and verbally abusive relationship. 
And it really hit its peak the night before my last cancer treatment, which was the day they told me we think it's back, which they confirmed shortly after. Um, and I knew in that moment in February of 2021, I, I can't stay in this. So I need to choose myself and go start the business and the podcast that's been nigging in the back of my head for a while. But I also need to um, leave this marriage at some point. And I just didn't know in that moment because I was so worn out from fighting health stuff at, for at that point, um, almost two years that I, I was like, I, I don't know when I'm going to feel mentally or physically ready to do this. And it wasn't for another year and a half until September 2022, working with a uh, therapist who specializes in narcissistic abuse recovery, which is what I identified I was dealing with. My husband is not diagnosed as that, but the behavior was consistent with it. Um, and working with her for 10 months every week to build an emotional toolbox to help me survive in the relationship and get strong and get my needs met as best I could um, and kind of deflect all of the contention that would happen in, in our house. And then also um, after after that, you know, starting in March of 2022, going and getting physically strong, going back to hardcore Pilates that I do, getting my body strong and making my outsides as strong as my insides. That was really important to me that I feel like I have an actual backbone that represents the titanium metaphorical backbone I've built through all this therapy and all this these skills that I've built through her. So yeah, it wasn't until September 2022 that I said... This is no longer working for me and, and it's done. And uh, we're just three days short of that being finalized. So it's a whole year of, you know, you, you file and then there's like in California, there's a six month waiting period for everything to be officially said and done. And we're just coming up on that final moment. But there's, you know, the filing of the papers and the filing of the final papers. And then you just sit there and, and wait. And I'm finally almost at the end of that journey. So, yeah, it was it was a lot of choosing myself and learning to advocate for myself through my health, through, you know, a, a spouse who was very difficult to live with um, just over and over and over at my work, you know, advocating for myself and then starting my business. Um, yeah. One one lesson after another for three years straight. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. I feel like you just learned. <laughs> from the expert how it's done right there <laughs> that's wow. resilience right i guess so that's that's the lesson i learned from it so hopefully i can spare other people from having to learn it the hard way wow wow yeah thank you thank you for sharing sure this. congratulations on your recovery and the thank fact you that you're you're free yes thank you thank yeah. you so much that's what it that's what it feels like it's a it's a new start this weekend yeah. Congratulations. Very timely to be speaking about it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, okay. So then when we, I mean, you've just beautifully shared your story. So yeah, we got the firsthand look of how to do that. So just go, just go re-listen to all that. Yeah. Just craft <laughs> just your own following that framework. <laughs> but when, so when a client comes to you and they have that light bulb for themselves and they say hey i want to start sharing my story i think it's going to help mm -hmm. someone i want to impact lives i also want to put myself out there a little bit like, how do you begin working with them what does that process look like to really figure out how they can beautifully package and share their story like you've just done yeah it's a kind of a three-step process that i use i mean first it's really 
what I call a discovery session. So we just dive into, I, I need to get to know you. And I have, um, I've worked as a journalist. Um, and so I kind of bring those who, what, when, where, why, how questions in to, to someone else to get to know them and understand their story. And then we sort of parse out, you know, what are sort of the key milestones. And like for me, for example, when you're asking about my journey, I really talk primarily about these last four years. Those are the ones where these big mile markers happened. So it's identifying, you know, are there things throughout their life or is it just more recent history like what I have? What are those big moments? Maybe there's three to five topics that they speak about. And then once we identify those, it's like, okay, digging in, what are the three key takeaways from each of those things that you want to talk about? And then I can help kind of write that as a writer. I can write those key messages and then they can review it and sort of think about how do I put this in my own voice? But it gives them, you know, sort of a a key messaging framework to borrow a corporate communications uh, term that I would use in my work a lot. But it's a key messaging framework that is something uh, the messages are compelling, they're resonant and they're consistent and they can tell them in any forum, maybe it's going to be in a keynote, maybe it's going to be on a podcast like we're doing right now. And then the last piece of it is the coaching part of it. So it's almost like a role modeling. So if you're keynoting, I'm going to go sit in the audience while you're on stage and we're going to just basically role model, work it out. I'm going to stop you. I'm going to hold on a second, go back, say it this way um, and just coach them on it. Or if it's a podcast, we're going to get on a Zoom call and I'm going to you know, be the host and ask you these questions and give you the opportunity to work through it. And that's really the way, that's where it all comes together and where it really gels when they get to kind of practice it. But I do take a very journalistic approach to getting to like, it's almost like I'm interviewing someone and getting to know them and then parsing out what are these key things that you have to share that are universally resonant. And now how do you do it in a way that feels comfortable to you? Mm, Yeah, I love that style and that approach. And Okay, so let's say they follow this framework and they figure out what the milestones are. They dig in what the takeaways would be from there. They're coached by you, so they get that feedback that's needed. What, is it, what typically like holds them back from doing it? I think stage, the biggest is there thing... Is some stage fright? Is there yeah. Is kind of I mean, that kind of comes in? Totally. I, I think the biggest thing is really uh, vulnerability. It's very hard to, especially if your story is traumatizing in any way. Um, trying not to re-traumatize yourself is a challenge. And so part of that training process, even before we get into sort of the role modeling is really like, how do you, and this does a very here for me, my podcast, you know, approach, but how are you there for yourself? What are you willing to talk about that is resonant and moves people without pulling you into the experience in a way that you feel like you start drowning And also, even so, just telling your story, like you said, the stage fright or whatever it is, how do you take care of yourself before and after those opportunities? And I can say, I'm on your show right now, I've learned this firsthand telling my story on podcasts for the last six months. It's given me a new level of empathy. I've worked with executives and notable people for years and years and years on this and consider myself an empathic and and empathetic person, but never really understood the vulnerability hangover that happens, particularly for me when I talk about the abuse, not so much my journey, you know, with entrepreneurship or even my health uh, issues that doesn't, but the, the, the abuse stuff really pulls me underwater and I've had to figure out how do I stay above that? How do I focus? And then how do I care for myself before and after? So we identify those things too. Like, what do you do? Do you just clear your calendar for the whole day? 
Um, I did a live episode actually of my podcast in April and um, my, it's a dear friend of mine who's a chef in Seattle, Renee Erickson shared in that episode um, with people who were asking questions of how she had cleared her whole day. She's like, I just had a really slow day today. I didn't go into my restaurants. You know, my executive chef said, it's fine. Just log off, take care of yourself, go for a walk. She had a very slow day that allowed her to show up and be like, I can step into the vulnerability now and really address my journey. So things like that, just getting to know yourself. I coach people through that. Mm, yeah, that's really, really special. Yeah, I've thought of the vulnerability piece, but not of the need for recovery after and like mm -hmm. allowing yourself to have that space. It's really, really important. Absolutely. Yeah. And even for you as a podcast host, I know that I sometimes if I'm t uh, interviewing someone with a really heavy story, we'll finish the interview and my producers will be like, what are you doing to take care of yourself after that? Oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. especially if you're, I identify as a highly sensitive person. If you're a sensitive, intuitive person, that's really important. So even when it's not your story, you're holding space, you're holding space for me now. So you should go do something nice for yourself and get a pedicure or take an Epsom salt bath or a walk in nature, but something that you can discharge the energy from just holding space for people. So it really goes both ways. Yeah, I'm actually going to take that into, I do a lot of coaching sessions every mm -hmm. day and that's the same thing. I'm holding so much space for others and that energy has a way of sometimes like penetrating into, mm -hmm. into my area and it's easy to just have back to backs all day long and no yeah. breathing room. Got that Palo Santo, like, hello. Yes, Palo <laughs> Santo is so great. That's a good one. That's a really good one. I'm so glad to hear that you do that. Just some, whatever works for you, you know, everybody's different. Yeah. So then I would love to bring the podcast in because sure. I, I look back on my journey and I really realized that deciding to launch the podcast has been one of the best ways to find my voice, learn how to share mm -hmm. my story, be okay being vulnerable and authentic and realize the sky's not going to fall. Yeah. I'm not going to die. You're all right. It's going to be fine. So <laughs> I, I, I'd be curious for you because before we get on here, you mentioned that you typically recommend that to your clients as a way to share their story. I'd be curious your experience with your personal podcast and how that's enabled you to have your own stage, mm -hmm. maybe your own personal growth with that. And then also why you do recommend that to your clients. Yeah, just personal storytelling in general. Yeah, using the medium of podcasting. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I think, and I'm speaking, uh, t t preaching to the choir here. I mean, for me, what I love about podcasting is the opportunity to have a conversation versus like a straight up Q&A. You and I are talking. The yeah. conversation piece of it that's different journalistic, you know, press junkets and Q&As that I would do is like, you're giving back, right? So you're adding to the story. It's not just you're getting information from the guest and staying a fairly neutral source. It's actually conversation. So you're going to like, you're just sharing about the Palo Santo and whatever. That's what I love about it. It's conversational and, and conversation is healing. And for me, after the pandemic, I mean, I've always been a conversationalist and someone who's not afraid to go really deep. But I really was craving that after the pandemic. And I think everybody was because we were so isolated from each other. So for me, that's why that medium was healing. And especially the kind of things that we talk about on here for me. I mean, th this season, we just kicked off season three on the 27th of September. This season is some of the most intense but beautiful conversations about people who went through things that could have just leveled them. I mean, mental illness abuse, addiction, given six months to live, like stuff that's 
more grave than anything I've shared and then manage to get to the other side of that and prevail and find purpose. And it's really beautiful. Um, I don't know that you can, yeah, you could do an in-depth um, feature or profile, but it's not the same as hearing it in someone else's voice. And you were asking about clients and why I recommend that. Um, I think there is real healing power in telling your own story in your own voice. Um, you can, certainly, I said I, I've done it through essays for many years because podcasts weren't a thing for a long time when I was first doing that. Uh, but that's that to me is, you know, you're sitting down with someone else. It's just it's one on one. It's just the two of you. And you fall into a space where you almost forget that you're doing it's not a press interview. You're not on stage. You're not on camera. You know, we're on camera, but like we are, you know, we'd be doing it like a FaceTime call or something. And that intimacy is so powerful and people feel that. Um, and that's that to me is why podcasting is such a powerful medium. Mm, OK, you're going to like this. I feel really called to share right now. Yeah, so absolutely. Well, Please do. So I, I completely agree. And I also feel even when it's just yourself and you maybe even just try to connect to that one person on the other side of the microphone, then mm -hmm. you're really able to share things that maybe you've never shared with anyone before yes. either. Yep. And one thing that we're doing, so my fiance and I are actually launching a together podcast. Mm. Super cool. He awesome. just filmed our second episode, his <gasps> second episode ever. I love it. So fun. So he's really getting into sharing his story and showing up on camera. And I love the, it. The cool part about this, like tying it into what you, were what you were saying about us being able to just have this conversation is we we have this idea of actually changing the way podcasters podcast mm. versus feeling like you need to be in a studio uh -huh. behind this. I got this light and this camera and this fancy looking microphone. And yep. yes, we're face to face in a Zoom call, but what what the idea of our show is is we're actually going to be having conversations in nature studio and oh. think yeah i think like fireside chats where yes we're already yeah like we're already masterminding here's the problem is we would be creekside uh, all summer long or, or hanging out in our floaties and we'd be masterminding back and forth just having killer ideas i would get inspired leave him when we were flowing to go upstairs and film a podcast episode because I felt like I had to be in a studio. And uh -huh. so we're trying to break that. And what we're realizing is that, you know, you can just have a beer by the fire, hear the crackles of the fire. And yes. it's so much more authentic feeling. Yep. And so much more conversational. So just to your point, I just, I just love it. So I just hope to see the industry start to shift a little bit away from professional and more to the authenticity that is. Oh, yeah. Human. Oh, I could not agree with you more. In fact, um, when I was at Microsoft, one of the things I would do is speak to people at the company, particular commu uh, other communicators at the company, about a podcast, um, about producing and hosting and how do you do this? Because more and more of them were like, oh, our executive has this thought leadership platform and he wants to do one, even if it's limited series. Some people just do three to six episodes on a specific topic. It's not meant to go on and on. And exactly what you said, one of the reasons that it's so effective, and I, I had in my PowerPoint like a little graphic of people around a fire, and I said, this is the oldest yeah. form of telling stories. People wrote hieroglyphics on, you know, cave walls, and then they were, you know, around the fire, and I'm sure you're familiar with the moth. George Dawes Green, who founded the moth, the reason it's called that is because he remembered telling stories. People in his family, you know, neighbors coming together on a porch, and he always remembers the moths. He grew up in Georgia 
all the moths that would be flying around while people told stories on a porch, probably with a fire somewhere not far from them, you know, outside. So exactly what you're saying. It's the root of storytelling. And I love that you're doing that. Oh, yes. Thank you. And it's more approachable too, you know? Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so fun. Well, yeah, I love that you're bringing that into the space and just helping them share authentically. And I should be curious with the authentic piece. Mm -hmm. I don't, the question that's like popping up is, is it ever too authentic? Mm. Or is there, is there like a line where it's too, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I know that I certainly, we're talking about, you know, the vulnerability hangover. I've certainly experienced that going on some podcasts where I've gotten so comfortable, um, that I just start getting very loose lipped and say things that maybe I didn't want to. So that is, that absolutely happens. Um, and I think one of the things that I, one of the things I work with people on is where is your boundary? So for me, for example, my boundary is I will not identify my ex-husband and I will never say anything that he did because that's his story. Like, first of all, it's, you know, I don't want to invade his privacy. I'm just sharing what I experienced. So I try to talk about what it felt like. Um, you know, how I knew I was, something was not right in our relationship and our dynamic. Um, and what makes that more universal too, is that, you know, other people can relate, Oh, I feel like that. Oh, you know, but what caused it may not be universal, probably isn't really at all. And so I think that's the piece of it of like, what's your, I will not say these things because then it's going to get too authentic. And it's something I would share with my best friend, but it's not really, I'm not here to vent. I'm here to try to impart a lesson and those details aren't important. Um, and you really have to work on that specifically. It's one of the things we do, uh, you know, with, with storytelling is these are, these are the boundaries that you don't cross because it will not serve the listener. And it also just takes you back into remembering things that, you know, it's not that it's not good to remember it, but that forum isn't the right place for it. Mm. That's really interesting sharing it through your own lens i get honestly get this question all the time and i love how you worded that it's sharing it through your own lens without throwing other people under the bus because mm -hmm. at the end of the day it's it's your story yeah is a lot of people will say well my family's going to know i'm talking about them even if i don't say their name what if they hear this and they finally hear my side of the story i don't want to offend them i don't want to upset anyone right if you just keep it on what's your experience and the way I sometimes word it is less about, you know, he said, he said, she said, she said, whatever. It's not, that's not the important part of it. If you're writing a screenplay or a novel and you're telling a full story, that's different, right? Like you have dialogue to paint a picture, but you're just getting up and saying, you know, in my case, you know, I, I re recognized I was in an emotionally and verbally abusive relationship and this is how it felt. This is how, this is how I knew that's what was happening. What, how, what it was about me that primed me for that. And then how did I get to the other side of it? What did that treatment look like? What do I, what am I feeling now? How did I survive it? So keeping it, just keeping remember it's like, this is your experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the lesson, the lesson that came of it. Yeah. The example I love to share um, Cecily Strong in her memoir, um, I don't know if anybody's read it, but she was also in an abusive relationship. And um, I, I believe that she sent the manuscript to her ex-boyfriend for his like blessing on it, essentially. I don't know if she, I'm sure she didn't identify him, but I think he told her like, no, 
And so there's like 11 blank pages in the middle of her book. And it's, so, I literally have chills right now. It's so powerful because it's almost like this was a huge chapter in my life. And you just fill in the blanks and you know exactly how much that affected her. You don't need to know the details. The 11 pages that are blank tell you. It's kind of amazing how she managed to do that without saying a single word. Wow. That's, it's almost, yeah, what it's showing me is by leaving out those details, if we, if we go back to your personal story, by you not sharing all the details, we're not able to get lost in the weeds. Yes. It's almost sharing more without overshame. Exactly. That's exactly mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's really powerful that she did that. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, pretty incredible. And I, I don't, I literally don't think that was intentional. Someone had the idea her, her editor or something of like, let's just leave these pages blank and let that speak for itself that you're exactly right. The details don't matter. They pull you into also an emotion where you start feeling the other person's pain and that's not really the intent you want to, you want to, you know, storytelling to resonate with people, but you can do that just by talking about how you feel and your emotion and what you're going through as you go through that without being like, and then this happened and then this happened and then people's brains just start to spin and they start to get upset and then they lose clarity and get brain foggy the same way you did going through that, which is not what you want people to do mm. unless you're writing a movie or a novel. That's a different story, but yeah. that's a completely different approach than just synthesizing a lesson for some, for an audience, whether it's podcast or in a keynote, whatever it is so that they can take something away that you've imparted yeah, you don't want to get them so deep. And even, even relating back to themselves and their own stuff, you don't want to get them too deep into that either. Exactly. Maybe they can't take the lesson away. That, yep. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. wow. Well, I'd, be, I'd also be curious, like, is there anything else coming up for you that you feel called to share that you want to leave the audience with? Yeah. Um, he, well, the newest season of Here For Me just uh, was released and that's we're in the thick of that right now Um, and at the season we do themed seasons so this season is prevail the first one was wake up calls and the second was detours and the third is prevail so it's the phoenix rising from the ashes and like I said the stories are pretty heavy um, but the result of that the prevailing is so powerful and inspiring so I hope that people will listen to that Um, We have a little mini season for the new year on transforming and sort of finding yourself through, again, through two people's personal stories, two women who went through some pretty epic things and and found a new self, which many people want to do in the new year. So that will come out in January. And then season four is reclaim. So it's how do you take yourself back after something? So we're always telling a story that's like life altering in some way. But the ways that people showed up for themselves are different based on the theme. You know, they either woke up and were like, oh, my God, I'm not choosing myself. Or they navigated a detour or they rose from the ashes or they completely transformed who they are and became the best version of themselves. Or they took themselves back and then became that much more powerful. So, yeah, I would encourage people to listen to hear from me. Uh, I'm out telling the story on stages and different ways and speaking. So that's really exciting. It's fun to be in front of people live. Um, and that's, that's happening. And then I'm just expanding the number of people that I'm doing personal storytelling with people who are like 
ready to share on a podcast or going to do a keynote speech of their own or starting their own podcast and want to incorporate personal storytelling. So yeah, that's what's coming up for me right now. I love it. I love it. And it just reminds me of being here in Sedona. <laughs> Our plan was to travel the whole West Coast and this was the first place we came and we haven't left yet. So <laughs> And how long have you been the there? Plan. Uh since January. Okay. Yeah, it's so. almost a year. Oh I know. But like, that's what such just a, happened? That we place is then, well, it, I don't have to tell you this. The spirituality of Sedona is pure magic. I'm a very woo woo person, so I really I just love that you're there. Oh, you get it. It's it's take it okay because you said rise from the ashes so i was actually mm -hmm. doing okay so i went in town and i did this uh, somatic breathwork experience and Ooh. have you done one before uh I, well, I did somatic experiencing with my therapist when i was going through mm -hmm. abuse recovery so i know about that but this is maybe a little bit of a different turn i, I want to curious want to hear about it yeah it's honestly magic you have to experience it uh for yourself but it's like an hour-long breathwork session it's very very deep breathing uh -huh. and it allows you to access your subconscious mind and before you get into that they have you pull a card but also share a tarot a card word. or like an oracle yes. or something yeah uh-huh uh -huh. speaking and my language share your word and this was actually right around the time of, of the maui virus and that's actually where my son was born and so oh. the word that came up for me was phoenix oh rising from the ashes and what was super interesting in this, ex every experience that you have with somatic breath work is going to be different. And in this experience, I was actually able to connect to the fact that moving to Sedona, quite frankly, burned everything that I had built to the ground, mm -hmm. to ashes, everything yeah. changed. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Even now something interesting happened too. But, uh, so, but it's helped us beautifully like rebuild and truly since then rise from the ashes and it's like you i saw this phoenix like rise up over the planet and just but that is the transformation that i've experienced being in sedona oh my god that's so powerful circle. oh but but what's wild is my per my podcast is called aligned with purpose and so right this entire journey i felt aligned but then coming to sedona it was like hold on wait hold on this is a whole other level of alignment that sedona has brought you it's tower oh, yeah. moment, you know, in tarot when they talk about the tower, when the tower crumbles and everything burns, then you had your huge tower moment in Sedona. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I'm feeling that right here for you. Uh, and I also want to, um, Maui is a, a special place. My ex-husband and I spent time every summer there. We had friends who had a vacation mm -hmm. condo and we'd go for a month for years. And then we got married there and I'm actually leaving to go there on Monday oh. to mark the end the official end of this chapter like the day after our divorce is final i'm flying out by myself to go for a week and just yeah maybe i need to do some somatic breath work because i just <laughs> need to find someone who can walk me through that in maui but i love that you have that connection and that your son was born there oh it's so beautiful oh you're gonna have a blast i'll follow along and, and capture your pictures thank you <laughs> well, well thank you so much for being here i'll share all your links I down so below for that. those who want to check out your podcast. Thank you so much. This has just been a joy. And I love the connection that we've had. Uh, I need to come down to Sedona and say hello and check out your breathwork uh, person. <laughs> what a wonderful exercise. I love it. Oh, yeah. It sounds like it. I love everything about it. 